0: Moral of today's story is murder is okay as long as you have a friend who could help you through it. (laughs) (laughs) How's that?
1: I thought that was good. John doesn't like it.
0: John does not like it.
2: Welcome to the Retorizer. I'm John with an H, and joining me are Rustic Roxanne.
0: Hello, Carefree Kevin. I'm standing today. And
1: what are you standing on?
0: He's he's got a standing desk and he will
2: not stop talking about it. And so lovely. And sitting down is Jazzy Jacob. Hi, everyone. And you have come (laughs) to listen to our show, The Retorizer. And this is a show about books. It's a book show. I inverted it. And today we're going to talk about Patricia Highsmith's *Strangers on a Train*. Strangers
1: on a train. Is there
2: actually a song? Are you are you doing reference? Just up, you just come um, up. I Frank Sinatra. This should though. be. No? Oh Strangers shit! I thought you just made it up. Strangers in on the
1: your night. Own.
2: Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. All I'm right. A
2: <laughs> so this book was written in 1950. Uh, Patricia Highsmith, quite a quite the character, or so you've been hinting at us, Jacob, right?
3: Yeah, lots going on with Patricia Highsmith, who was born Mary Patricia Plangman in Texas. Uh, her parents divorced, and she ended up adopting her stepfather's last name he was named Stanley Highsmith hence how so we get to Patricia Highsmith you
1: had a really misplaced pause there and I thought you said she adopted her stepfather and I was like <laughs> <laughs> that is and
3: a then killed a him right under there. a train that is a good like, twist. The insurance policy. yeah no um She's uh, uh, kind of interesting, and um, uh, one of the first of the two major edge lords we're going to be encountering this season. Um, A highly charismatic individual who nonetheless had a very dark aura. Uh, I think a lot of people... Very problematic
2: person, if you look into her uh, personal (laughs) views. Very problematic.
3: As one of her close friends put it, she was an equal opportunity offender, uh, and there's quite a lot of record of her uh, being misogynistic. Sorry, I'm counting off on my fingers right now for the people who are listening. Uh, misogynistic anti-semitic racist uh all manner of things but for some reason and it's clear because, like, a lot of people liked her a lot. I think everybody thought she was joking all the time, but she may not have been. So there's this kind of dark charisma to her where she's always kind of the life of the party, but then in terms of a lot of stuff she's talking about, it's kind of like, uh, some of her friends acknowledge that she seems to, like, sort of carry evil around with her, but they're also like, one, she was a lot of fun, and two, uh, everyone thought she was super attractive. So a very kind of interesting personality that we can talk about a little more.
1: I have a question about her problematic views, but, like, maybe you keep... <laughs> Do you have more
3: bio info? Well, she's
2: a very dry person. And Also, a very uh, yeah. an, another noteworthy thing. I, I watched a I, I, re, I watched a few interviews with her, and I watched um, "Loving Highsmith" documentary on Criterion Channel, which is a straight up like hagi, ha, how do you pronounce the word hagiography? Hagiography. That's fine. Um, That'll do. Whatever. Hagiography. It's a it's a hagiography ever again, and, and it focuses mostly on her romantic life because she was a, a closeted for some parts of her life, a closeted gay person. And that was sort of like a tension that she had, um, especially because she was married to some men. <laughs> um, Just a couple times. Right, That's true, right? She got married. No, to- no. She was engaged yeah. at one point. Um, so during
3: the writing of this novel, she was engaged to a guy. Again, this is how charismatic she was, is she had a long chat with this guy, Mark Brandel, uh about how he was interested in her and she was like oh i don't really like sleeping with men and he like still kept proposing to her <laughs> he was like that's okay we can work that out and she was like I, i'm not really into dudes and he's like well, let's let's talk about this later let's just meet for a couple of dates but yeah <laughs> let's no. talk uh, about this later. <laughs> so so she's, she's a pretty
2: yeah. problematic person but what's interesting about her biography too is she's like a huge avid diarist like she wrote in a diary every day so we have like so much information about her like personal life interviews and um, a lot of them are interesting. She also was like a uh, American transplant to like several like European villages. Like she was really big in the living in little villages, right? And I just I wanted to bring up like the, her being uh, you know a queer person just because like that's really relevant I think to the book. And also she is a, a huge alcoholic, right, Jacob? Like that's that's the yeah. case.
3: Yeah, well we can talk that's, about this a little bit when we get to the writing of this novel uh, There's yeah. a little background there that's kind of funny But yeah, she's she's a pretty big drinker from a relatively young age And by her middle ages, you know There are friends of hers who say that in retrospect They're not sure they ever hung out with her when she was sober uh, Part of her writing process involved drinking quite a lot of dry martinis uh, she, She's up there in the Chandler uh, pantheon of drunk, you know, mid-20th century writers
1: I have a question about her problematic views, because I watched Loving Highsmith, too, and that's the only thing, the only thing I know about her is from that documentary, and they kind of just, like, because it's more about her, like, love life and then her career, in a way, they kind of just say that, oh, like, she was writing in her diaries her, like, problematic opinions, but it almost kind of sounds like a result of her loneliness and Unhappiness. It's kind of like. Did you think like it's kind of just mentioned briefly, right? So I,
2: I i would recommend I would recommend reading the first few paragraphs of her Wikipedia entry and then contrasting against that documentary. And <laughs> it's the, that documentary, which it was. I would say pretty average. Like it's just like a lot of like twangy guitars and like uh, like this slow motion part where you gotta watch a guy in a rodeo, and then like a scene where you watch like an uh, old German woman like watch a drag singer, and it's like really like, in slow motion and stuff. Like it's really trying to strike like an emotional chord in a way well, that I
1: liked it, but like I didn't yeah. know anything about her before, so I was like, oh, maybe you know, like, you come out liking her.
3: I it really focuses me. on
0: one part of her life, yeah. like um
3: yeah and it's not like, and like, like her relations with women are pretty complicated um sorry yeah. go ahead kevin
0: pause can Roxanne keep moving your mic more in front of your mouth you're really getting a little echoey
1: is this better
0: yes you still sound a little is it what the right you, way
1: what do you want me to do it is the right way you I, sure it's the right way well testing
0: there, there you I go turn it-
1: Oh, it was the wrong way. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> got her, got her. Yes, <laughs> I was just seeing if Kevin was paying attention.
3: <laughs> now back to the Kevin. directionizer. <laughs> so just a little bit of context um, about Patricia Petr- Petr- Highsmith, and particularly her. The, there's accusations of misogyny that dog her as well, um, and she was someone who had a relatively young age uh felt that she was a boy that had been born in a girl's body uh and some more context that's important here is on top of her you know sort of realizing that she was a lesbian this is in like the 30s and 40s in the united states and she starts going to sort of freudian analysis and at that time in the american version of freudian analysis if you were homosexual the idea was that this was a kind of like pathology that could be cured through like talking to someone so they're like okay so you think you're gay or a lesbian we're gonna talk you out of this eventually and then you're gonna go have like a happily married normie life in the suburbs so this is kind of like the sort of medical part of the medical treatment around this in addition this book comes out a few years after world war ii uh the united states is in the grips of another red scare and it kind of under-discussed corollary of that Red Scare wasn't just about chasing anyone with left-leaning views out of the public service, but there was also a fear that homosexuals were easily bribed by Soviet agents. Um, and so there were lots of campaigns also to chase anyone who was like gay, gay out of public life uh, for all kinds of reasons. And so uh, she's grappling with all this, but also someone who wants to write about it. So like the next book that comes out is a book that she released under a pseudonym. Um, she released as a I think her name it was released under the name of Claire Morgan. Uh, and this book sold like gangbusters. I think it sold a million copies in 1951
2: And it's noteworthy for being apparently the first story uh, featuring lesbians that has a house ending
3: yeah so that's part of the success of it is that uh prior to this book which was recently adapted into a movie called carol um there are only three possible endings to these With kind Galadriel of like, softcore. yeah 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 cape launch that there are only three kinds of endings to these kinds of like lesbian softcore novels that used to be released at the time uh which is that either they had to like remit like you know patch things up with their husband, you know, go back to being straight under the theory of the time. They would be committed to a mental asylum or they would have to die a horrible death. Oh, that's the the Cain ending. That's right. You do do
0: wrong and you get punished.
3: That's right. And so she she wrote a book uh, about a uh, sort of lesbian romance that doesn't end in any of those. And it's actually like, you know, they decide to get married together um so mm. there's a lot of complicated things going on in terms of how she sort of relates to some of these features of her own personality but to go back to the problematic thing just very quickly here uh there's an i think a review wait, wait, one anecdote. thing one thing you mentioned about
2: yep. the red scare uh, is that maybe one reason why she fled over to europe because she she really i don't loved, think so is okay because she found a lot of success in europe too she loved to live there right and like she just liked the thing, joie de vivre yeah, one, one thing That's we right. haven't mentioned though is like her most famous series of books are the Ripley novels, you know, the Talented Mr. Ripley and stuff like that, and, and a lot of that is just about you know traveling around Europe and uh, doing murders in exotic places, right? Which um, this book takes place
0: like entirely in North America, um, but it's but on different. a train, which is a very European concept.
3: <laughs> like, this <laughs> yeah, would be strangers in a in car, really. If it was in like Europe. in the
0: Midwest. Should <laughs> be totally be strangers in a car on a bus. Strangers on a Greyhound. <laughs> It'd just
2: be it'd just be strangers in traffic. Um <laughs> yeah. And they wouldn't talk to each other, so there'd be no murders. Um so go ahead, Jacob, about her problematic views. I'm interested.
3: Oh, so this is revealing, revealing anecdote uh, later in her career. She had an editor um, who was looking at a piece of dialogue from a book she was writing or the third-person narration. And he was like, oh, this is pretty racist, Patricia. Do, do you think you could soften this a little bit? And then her response to him, I think it's revealing because the first thing she said was, look, those aren't my views. Those are the characters' views, which is a fair enough kind of, like, literary argument, and and the views were had to do with black people and Puerto Ricans. But then she followed it up by saying, here are my views about blacks and Puerto Ricans, which were super racist. So it's, like, it's kind of this—that's why I think, like, Edgelord is kind of what occurs to me with her, where she mm. kind of seems to be joking sometimes, and people get taken in by that. And then later they're like, oh, no, wait, maybe she actually meant those things? um but she has a lot of contract reviews because she's also progressive
1: yeah the the documentary kind of argues that like she wasn't racist for most of her life but like the reason why she was racist at the end was because she went back to being like her racist grandmother or something
3: (laughs) yeah speaking of her
2: grandmother (laughs) just one more thing before we start talking about the book that (laughs) i just think is interesting is that she had a really sort of complicated and long-standing relationship with her own mother right her mother uh told her once that she tried to uh drink a bunch of turpentine to abort Patricia Highsmith but it like it didn't take (laughs) which is a pretty awful thing to hear from your own mother but apparently uh Patricia Highsmith even though she had like a difficult relationship with her mother and like got herself disinherited she was still like kind of devoted to her strangely that's what the documentary sort of mentions in Loving Highsmith I don't know if that's really the case jake when you're reading but um i just think it's interesting when so, we relate uh, it to this novel strangers mm. on a train which has tons
0: of mommy issues in it i mean um, yes. <laughs> beyond that though like everything you're saying about patricia highsmith sounds a little bit like charles bruno very charismatic person um yes heavy drinker um yes. little problematic got a dark side yeah uh, says oh my god the, the drinking in this novel you know you know when, probably like, you, gay. Know when, you know when
2: you don't know you, know you get sick on a certain kind of alcohol and then like when you smell it you get a little sick after like smelling it or something you know some people it's tequila some people it's whiskey this this novel like made me so nauseous like all the drinking in it was <laughs> yes. like, oh my god like i like a like a I have like a contact hangover from well, reading this fucking thing. <laughs> I've read like some boozy books, man, but someone. this is yeah. yeah.
0: But it's not just about it's not just like heavy drinking, like in a in a Raymond Chandler sense. It's like like the body horror of this novel is is that time like the <laughs> grotesqueness of the novel is like really vivid.
1: Yeah, you can tell she she knows what she's talking about. It's like it's like when you see an actor act like acting drunk in a movie, and you can tell when they've never been drunk in their life mm-hmm. or they have, you know.
0: Yeah. What, what do you mean by the body horror, though, Jacob? And also, Roxanne. I said body horror. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, for I mean, I, I mean, coming from, like, the first... So the first time when these guys meet on the train, and we could get a little bit more into the setup, but... Like he's kind of obsessed with Bruno. Like Guy is kind of obsessed with Bruno's body. Like he's talking about the shape of his feet. He's like obsessed with his pimple on Bruno's <laughs> okay. head. You know, there's right like in, the co- <laughs> in the center. Oh okay, yeah, yeah. It's so <laughs> there's like something slightly grotesque about it. And then, like later on in the scene, as Bruno is just like his alcoholism is getting worse and worse. There's that one scene where like he he just like his muscles start to freeze up, and he gets yeah, he like, a, like his face starts like peeling back, like his lips start peeling back, and he seizes up. I don't know. I, I found something so kind of uh, there's something so vivid about the way all that stuff was written. and it, it, An incredibly yeah, sweaty book. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah well, also, they- also, also Bruno also re- reminded me of my, my early 20s because he's passing out all over the place. People <laughs> have to carry him around. He's very inconvenient. And I'm like, yeah, I know what that's like. And then you wake up the next day and you know what you do? You pretend nothing happened. <laughs> no, John,
0: you were you, that's, not, that's not accurate because you were always like, whatever happens, I'm getting home. That was your whole thing.
3: You're like, I'm getting to a taxi, whatever. I'm going to
0: spend $100 to take a taxi home.
3: <laughs> $100 true. of our money that one time where he was like, don't worry, guys, I'm good for it, and reached into his pocket and threw a bunch of receipts at us and then fell out of the cab. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you convinced me and Kevin to take a cab across town in the middle of the night, and you were like, don't worry, don't worry, I'll pay my share. And then when you got out, you just handed me like a wad of receipts. <laughs>
2: I told you I was good for it. All right, so uh, Roxanne, why don't you tell? Why don't you start off? Start off telling us about this 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 novel. Let's get into the plot. right, let's get it. Can I just
3: do one last background thing? That's wait, wait, wait. wait, What are you asking? What are you asking? Just want to do one last background on the writing of this novel. So this is her first Um, novel.
2: Um, I don't know. We'll discuss it. Kevin, Roxanne, do we want to do one last
0: background? I vote yes. All right, let's do it, Roxanne. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Right. Okay, it's it's allowed. It's been it's been allowed by the All council. Right. So
3: very quickly, the background to this novel is that this is her first novel. Uh, at the time, she's working for a comic book company, and she has to come up with two plot ideas every day. And she's been doing this for years. And she sweet talks her way into a writing retreat called Yado uh, after sweet talking Truman Capote at a party and getting him to put in a good word for her in exchange for subletting her apartment to him. And she goes to Yaddo, which sounds honestly like The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, except everybody there is, like, a burgeoning author. uh, And they're in this, like, creepy Victorian mansion estate in, like, upstate New York.
1: Why, Why does it call Yaddo?
3: Uh, because this was an estate owned by a rich family whose kids kept dying and one of the surviving kids was like okay we want to dedicate this estate to like the arts what do we call it and then the kid just made up this word yaddo that they really liked and then I think that kid died too <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow! Well, I mean, he wasn't doing himself any favors. Get
3: to, the happy, like Get to yeah. the happy ending. Get to the
1: happy ending.
3: Anyway, yeah. so she said this writers' retreat, and in, in her class of writers' retreat, there was one very quiet woman uh, who turned out to be Flannery O'Connor, who didn't really mix with the rest of the people who were boozing hard. And then the person across the hallway from her, who said that uh, until the period of my visit. The uh, I was drunk every day, and that person across the hallway from her was Chester Himes, none other than uh, the great black crime writer himself. So Flannery at-
2: O'Connor, Chester Himes, Patricia Highsmith, and Truman Capote are at the same place. Walk into a like, bar. Ch-
3: yeah no almost Truman Capote had graduated had done this a couple years earlier he was already famous at this point but in her particular class her and Flannery O'Connor and Chester Himes were all there Chester Himes and her would have been drinking Flannery O'Connor not so much Um, and then she releases uh, Strangers on a Train which is the book she's writing at Yaddo at this time and this is when she's able to sort of move away from uh, being someone who writes uh, cartoon plots based on famous people in history like George Washington but anyway so that's that's what she's been
2: doing (laughs) So she actually hung out with Chester Hines?
3: <laughs> yeah, for a couple of yeah. weeks. It was for, for, for a few weeks at the retreat, yeah. Oh, Downing that's, that's great. <laughs> that's and great.
1: this is her first book, right? Huh?
3: <laughs> her, first, her first novel, yeah. She has one unpublished one from before, but this is the first, you know, published. This is her first novel? Yeah. Wow.
1: And I'm what is she wearing? Um... Okay, I don't care. <laughs> okay, we're on, <laughs> we're on a train.
0: <laughs> this is, uh, Roxanne, is this,
2: is this the titular train?
1: This is the train. What's the train's name? I don't know. You decide. Henry. Um, We meet Guy Haynes. (laughs)
3: Soul train. Yeah.
1: We're on the soul train. We meet Guy Haynes, this um, up-and-coming architect who is on a train from New York City, best city in the world, to Metcalfe, not the best city in the world. Where is it? Texas? (laughs) Yeah, it's in Texas. Who cares?
2: Guy Haynes is a Texan. (laughs) Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Just like Patricia Highsmith, who was born in Texas and then moved to New York when she was six.
1: Coincidence, right? Well, you know what they say, and what she knows is murder. I guess. Um, anyway, <laughs> he's going to Metcalf.
0: To I, don't, divorce. I think Dial is silent. Metcalf.
1: Metcalf.
3: <laughs> yeah. No. 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 It's good. It's good. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I'm French. I just I just, I just say that when I mispronounce something. It's <laughs> a good strategy. Yeah. Thanks. I say, oh, I'm French. Anyway, he's on his way to divorce his wife Miriam, uh, who we kind of understand is maybe his first love. Um, he's got his big project coming up in Florida. He's got a new girlfriend named Anne, so he just All needs right. to get. Sorry, let's
2: let's talk about. Are you, you going to talk about when they meet? When Bruno and him meet? Because yes. obviously that's where she's going with
3: this. He's excited
1: anyway there's this young guy sitting across him and he can already tell by the body language that this guy wants to talk to him um and they end up i love talking this description already
3: like
1: <laughs> well okay i love well i don't know if this is too early to like go on tangents but the, because kevin already mentioned it but the physical descriptions right from the beginning of this book are like quite amazing mm-hmm. can i just read how guy is described yeah The rise of hair and the slope of his long nose gave him a look of intense purpose and somehow of forward motion, though from the front, his heavy horizontal brows and mouth imposed a stillness and reserve. I love that because I don't even know what it means. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm just imagining someone really pointy. And then...
2: (laughs) I, I I do imagine him as kind of like angular and sharp, you know. And he's like he's like five nine, like one hundred and forty like pounds. Man. So he's kind of a skinny guy, you know. Because yeah. I mean, they give us his height and weight later when he's you know wanted for murder. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's kind of like that. And then and then juxtaposed against him is Bruno. And what's what's Bruno like? He's
1: well, at first we, we see his pimple, and then He's he He's got described- a fucking unicorn zit a- <laughs> on his head, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then we have a description of his face, which is, It looked neither young nor old, neither intelligent nor entirely stupid. Between the narrow, bulging forehead and the lantern jaw, it scooped degenerately, deep where the mouth lay in a fine line, deepest in the blue hollows that held the small scallops of the lids. The skin was as smooth as a girl's, even waxingly clear, as if all its impurities had been drained to feed the pimples (laughs) outbursts. That's amazing. This is like page three. I was like, I'm hooked. (laughs) Tell me more about the pimple.
2: But not entirely stupid is a good tagline for this podcast. Um.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So we have this guy, this young guy who's like obviously trying to talk to Guy. And Guy keeps trying to brush him off, even to the point where he, I think, gets off the train and then gets on the train last minute in another car. No, he does and
0: that later
2: when he's kind of he's already like he's already stuck talking to Bruno and they're kind of drinking. And then this is no, when, like, he d- he Bruno does this at
1: first and then he goes to the dinner yeah, cart, and you, Bruno.
2: Yeah. Oh, and then, then he does it again. Okay, it gets yeah, there? he does yeah. it like
1: a, he's really trying to get rid of him, and then finally he's just like. I guess because he's had a few drinks, he's like, Fuck and that's, it. And like, that's yeah. the
2: whole novel. He's trying to get rid of me, can't. <laughs> yeah, <end>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be okay. Uh, I think it be a good book. But anyway, out
1: of he ends up in Bruno's cabin, which is for some odd reason full of sporting goods. <laughs> yeah, he says, says it's full of
2: like yeah. it's full of childish <laughs> yeah. shit, and he's like he's like he's like holding up a tennis racket. And He's like it's never hit a ball, and he's like my mom always makes me travel with the stuff because she thinks it'll keep me out of bars. And he's like I just sell it when I run out of money. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and like, like, then there's also like comic books and detective books everywhere. This guy's like an eternal child and did you guys catch that he's a harvard dropout yes because yeah, he, yeah, like, he yeah. got
1: kicked out because of gambling and drinking
2: yeah 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 he's just he's just he's just like he's just
0: like the ultimate like psychopathic wealthy like man child you know but he's very like, charming right he is like he's, he's there's something very likable about him ah uh, exactly. finds very it's charming like,
1: yeah he's, guy he's very, there's there's yeah. something right away that guy kind of likes
0: guy likes him he, the guy talks, likes it. And he very quickly opens up to him. And he's like, I've never, I've never, basically guys like, I never speak openly to anybody. But for some but he reason, has a I'm line like talking to this guy. Where he
2: describes yeah. um, why he does that. And he says, it's because that Bruno is like corrupt. And because he's like corrupt, he feels comfortable talking to him. I, I, I marked it down. I thought it was interesting. But his, I want to complicate guy liking Bruno because his like, his liking him always vacillates between liking
0: him and just like, Like, just, like, loathing him. Sure, yeah. Nobody's fascinated with him. He finds him charming. There's a a charm about him.
1: Especially the more scotch he drinks. And the more scotch he drinks, the more they get into each other's lives. And then the more Bruno starts telling him about his dad. And then the more Guy notices there's a lot of... He hates his dad. His dad's very rich. But he loves his mommy. He loves his (laughs) mommy very much. Especially her lovely little legs. Which we'll hear a a lot about later. (laughs) And then (laughs) Bruno gets... Gets talking about the perfect murder, and he guy somehow opens up about like where he's going and about Miriam and about like, and then Bruno's like, "Wouldn't it be great if like she would?" Well, we should talk about Miriam more. What's the deal? What's
3: the deal with guy and Miriam?
1: So Miriam is pregnant, right?
3: By another guy. By another guy. guy.
1: <laughs> and he she it's not the first time that she like cheated on him, so he needs like a divorce and we kinda understand that he has this like other better girlfriend now, Anne. And also that he has this like big potential project coming up yeah. in Florida. Yeah.
2: yeah so he kinda
1: needs his divorce so he can like <clears throat> move on to his like new life with Anne That's- and It's kind of an
2: interesting dynamic. I think that was like like only in the 50s. But like, so she's cheating on him. cheated on him multiple times. They've been estranged for like at least three years. And he's saying, I could buy a divorce from her if I had a little bit more money, but I don't. And he says like, basically, he has to send her some money sometimes, but it's like not enough to break him and not enough to inconvenience him so much that it'd be better for him to get the divorce. So like, he's just kind of waiting for something to happen. And the reason he doesn't is because she still lives in Metcalf and could, he, he says that she could ruin him in Metcalf and his mom is there. So it's like inconvenient. It's a really weird dynamic. And he doesn't seem to be like, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to be like hiding the fact that he's married, you know, like Anne knows about it. Like he talks to this guy. I mean, he hides the fact that she cheated on him all the time, but it, it is kind mm. of like, I don't feel like it's a very like fifties thing, you know, where it's just like, oh, I'm just waiting for enough money to give to my like ex-wife so yeah but like, okay yeah, but, but this
0: yeah. this is where i think he where, where bruno kind of wins him over bruno like immediately is like he knows because well, bruno he, goes into he understands everything yeah but he but he also everything he says ends up to be true he like he, he's like un, he's like oh yeah she she you know she was cheating on you wasn't she you know and this happened and this happened and he's like yeah yeah and i think he's kind of like he wins him over because he's just like this guy's a total oversharer but he's also kind of cuts through the bullshit
1: yeah, he's like women he like her bullshit. attract men like garb like I mean, garbage and garbage flies. flies or something.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. He says that. I, I think I think it's because Bruno is is reductive. Like Bruno kind of like he's kind of like he's kind of like um he like lives in like a world of fiction. Like he reads all his detective books. He has like he doesn't know real problems. Like his real problem is just running out of his allowance. The reason he wants to kill his dad is because his dad won't give him his inheritance, like early, you know? And well, but, like, he, yeah. like but Bruno deals in like a lot of absolutes, right? He's like, there's two kinds of women. There's like, there's like my mother and then there's whores, and everyone is a whore and like, (laughs) and then, and then it speaks to guy at the time because he's like frustrated with, you know, his wife and it's kind of like with those kind of like guys like that, there's a kind of like attractive simplicity to them, you know, because they can make these big blanket statements to things. Like, I think that's what's kind of like attractive about
1: Bruno. Yeah, but I also think that there's a part of guy that agrees with it, but he maybe been pretending not to, like he's like, just pretending to live this polished life, right?
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, there's something about Bruno. Uh... Uh...
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think he
0: just. I, I think he's he, he's a, he's amusing. Let's put it that way. I think Guy is amused by him.
1: Yeah. Anyway, yeah. they drink a shit ton, and then Bruno ends up proposing the perfect murder, which would be that Bruno will ki- kill Miriam, and Guy will have an alibi and not be there, so they'll never suspect him. And then Guy will kill Bruno's dad, and they'll never suspect bruno because bruno will have been i don't know where and they'll never talk to each other again so no one will ever like associate them with each other and i don't know i don't know how the conversation ends i think they're just drunk and then guy gets off the train first thing right and then he's like that's just a drunk guy i met i'll never see him again
2: yeah but guy made a big mistake he left (laughs) his (laughs) play-doh book there yeah
1: he left his play-doh book that's true so um just casually
2: reading play-doh on the train to texas to get a divorce (laughs) just you know as you do personally i would have opted for more of a page
0: turner uh, i think
2: (laughs) yeah i was
1: like if
0: he had, had brought a better book this whole book wouldn't have happened. Well, you see, he's reading Plato. He's interested in philosophy. So when Bruno starts talking about like all of these philosophical ideas about how crime is boring and anyone could do crime, guys like, hmm, that's a philosophical idea. I don't remember that. And I don't remember. Aristotle yeah,
1: but m- maybe about he that. had his erotic literature <laughs> tucked inside the Plato book. He does say
0: <laughs> ah, like he hasn't. It's like is his what college I book, do. right? It's like his college book. Like he hasn't read it forever, and he's like, oh yeah, 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 I just think it's funny. Exactly. I think but if I he had think, like a more engrossing book, he wouldn't have talked to Bruno, and then you know, <laughs> he wouldn't <have laughs> Um, I, I, do th- I do think the choice of Plato was intentional because there is this kind of philosophical dialogue going on between these two guys. Sure, mm. whatever. Sure, sure. No, sure. it's meaningless. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> 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 they just, he
0: just throws it an arbitrary book.
1: <laughs> anyway, so when he gets yeah. to Metcalf, uh, kind of what what guy was scared of happens and like Miriam doesn't want to divorce him right away because the guy who knocked her up doesn't want to marry her right away and then she kind of ends up hearing about the big florida project and says like oh why don't i come with you while i wait for this guy to want to marry me and then we can get divorced so she becomes an obstacle to his perfect life right
2: she's just the worst isn't she yeah he's afraid she she's is gonna just, just yeah but we also
1: kind of understand that he still like loves her or wants her in some weird way like the way she's described it's like she's he's under her like power
2: this, and he's kind of like a habit like he's got a lot of nostalgia like they go to meet at the high school where he started like dating her Mm-hmm. And he, he's like he's kind of nostalgic about it, but I, I see what you're saying. There's kind of like, there, she has a power over him. You know what I mean? He can't like really rid himself of her, and like Can he I? gives up the job
0: as soon as she offers to come. He's like, all right, I lose. Fucking yeah, but not for her. He gives it up because he's afraid she's gonna show up and ruin his reputation. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, she's he yeah. can't stop her. Is what I mean? Yeah, yeah. you yeah. And would be able to tell. You think you'd be able to tell you're
2: pregnant? wife pregnant with another man's child you know no i don't think you should come
0: with me but he can't do that you know like he cannot do that he's a man of a uh, reputation he's got a he's got a he's he's promising young architect he's got to make his way in high society and be respectful yeah so he already kind of his ex-wife with <laughs> running around with <laughs> um, so so once he like baby. hears
1: this from her he's kind of like okay well i have to abandon my dreams he says he's like going to say no to the what is the job it's like he's gonna it's gonna be like uh, a country it's like club. A, it's a
3: golf club a country yeah club? Country
1: club, yeah. Club,
2: golf club,
1: yeah yeah some fancy golf club anyway it's he's mar-a-lago
2: right. yeah right. it's mar-a-lago <laughs>
1: he writes oh, the Mar-a-Lago. letter saying he writes the letter saying that he's not gonna take the job he's like i'll just go his girlfriend Anne, who's like we understand her to be rich right yeah
2: yeah she's from yes. a rich family yeah, she's rich she's upper class she's she's She's, she's like, she's a class above him, which is like what yeah. he, he wants. So right? she's he in Mexico. And,
1: yeah, she's in Mexico. And he's like, I'll just go meet her, have a nice time. But I won't have the Florida job, but it's fine. And I think it's when he's in Mexico that he starts getting letters or calls from Bruno. Is that when Bruno starts so, writing to his mom in Metcalf? right? This is the best I think, thing. I think, I think he
0: calls, yeah. Bruno's like, it's it's the perfect crime. No one will ever know where we're connected to each other. And then, like, as soon as they part, Bruno starts, like, sending him letters and making phone calls to him. Yeah, he starts, Um,
1: like, he 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 sends a letter about the the book. That's the first letter. (laughs) Yeah. My my yeah.
2: favorite my favorite Bruno's not like Imperfect Crime is later on when he oh. mastermind's killing his father with like only things that someone who lived in the house would have known. Like, <laughs> anyways, we're going talk the about me- that.
0: Spoiler. Yeah,
1: that's
0: yeah, all right. I think there's like there's a there's another amazing Bruno mastermind crime scene coming up very quickly.
1: Anyway, Bruno's oh, yeah. trying to contact him and guy ignores him which is the story of the book and then somehow somehow yeah. Somehow Bruno decides. Well, I'm just gonna go kill Miriam. <laughs> this is he what guy he, I want. He basically he's bored. He does it
2: like, like, a, like, a, like, a, he, like a drunk like a drunk lark. Yeah. He's, he's like, like he's he's like you he, know like it's not like it's like hey you know you know it'd be fun like if we like went to like another pub or something you know what I mean or like or like would it be great if we like got drunk and hit some golf balls or something you know like when you're like you're drinking he's like he's like you know what I'm gonna go I'm gonna go murder that guy's wife for him. That's <laughs> yeah. What yeah. He like actually that decide.
1: Guy. He decides it when he's supremely hungover. I think it's the day where he wakes up in an alley. And then he has a, a prairie oyster, which is like a oh, raw so egg gross. and hot tea. <laughs> he so, has this kind so of like gross. these
3: like life goals right like he says he has a few things he wants to do he's like i can think of all kinds of things you know i can commit suicide and make it look like my worst enemy did it if i ever get really rich i'll give a thousand bucks to a homeless person you know he has all these like and he's like and he wants to commit a murder as well as the other thing he wants to do before he dies and he also well, has this history of like he drove blindfolded <laughs> like a convertible at a he high mentions speed it twice. at one point yeah, yeah he talks about yeah. it on the
2: train and then later on it comes out and he like immediately yeah. crashed <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you find out later that he's like obsessed with plotting murders, right? You find out from yeah. like uh, a family friend that this is. He's like, also about obsessed it all the with time. his. Yeah, I, I mean, the other thing about the, the design to go kill Miriam, though, I think there's two. There's two interesting things to it. One is his like his total obsession with Guy, and I think it comes back to what John was saying: how everything is very black and white with him, where he's like, his mom and Guy are good people, and like anything they do is good, and it's almost like. There's this co- sign of toying throughout the novel is like, is Bruno in love with Guy or not? There's yeah. kind of like a faint eroticism. They never really go all the way. And there, there's like a lot of hints that Bruno Bruno is kind of like at one point he's excited and he wants girls. But then he says later he's like not interested in sex. So there's, yeah. And he never, there's no, there's no overt sexuality, but there is this kind of love. Like he's, he's like, he is obsessed with this guy. He has to be oh, like well, infatuated well. with Guy in a sense, right? Um I mean, after he the other the thing, murder,
3: he immediately goes looking for a prostitute because he's yeah.
0: like, <laughs> like yeah. He's... yeah, but then later on he says like he's not interested. he doesn't he finds sex boring or something like yeah, that.
2: yeah, but I I, I I think the 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 fixation with guy is definitely a romantic one
1: yeah like, i I, think, I agree I think it's
2: pretty pretty clear. um
1: do we think it's because guy has legs that are as hot as Bruno's moms?
0: yes, <laughs> Bruno's <laughs> mom who is a former <laughs> for, dancer. for contest.
1: there's. <laughs> For context, there's a description of Bruno's mom's legs, and he's just like, he's just so proud of his mom's legs.
2: (laughs) Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. Yeah. Uh huh. It's me. It's me, John. Like Jacob, I got a problem. John with an H. It's me. I got a problem. I'm stuck on this train. Yeah, I'm stuck on this train. I I just, I just went off to the bathroom. This guy's here. He's buying me steaks, steaks and applesauce. Oh, that sounds nice. He will not. Yeah, it is nice. But he won't stop talking about murder, Jacob. He won't stop oh. talking about murder.
3: Who's? Yours?
2: It, no, 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 Jacob. It's your murder. It's your murder. I was talking oh. about you. This guy's a good... Anyways, anyways, I don't want to run I don't, like don't, wanna run, to, I don't wanna run, run into this problem again, and the main problem was because I got on this train. I didn't bring anything to do. I didn't bring a book with me. Stranger on this train just started chatting me up. Jacob, I, I spent a little time in Ottawa but then I got another long train ride. I, I need to get some books. I need some books bad. I'm... I'm hurting for some books, Jacob. Where can I get some books in the city of Ottawa?
3: Well, you can try perfect books, booksellers there on the intersection of Elgin and Somerset in downtown Ottawa. You can find something really enthralling, really engrossing. You got everything from your Colleen Hoover's to your Margaret Atwood's.
2: Oh, I can't wait. Uh, and Jacob, please, uh, Avoid any public places, especially carnivals, for the next few months. You may want to lay a little low. All
1: right, I gotta go. I
2: gotta go. I gotta oh. go. I, gotta go I was
3: looking forward to the carp fair, but what? What, John?
2: Let's talk about this murder, of Miriam. So, so Bruno, yes. like, this
1: was probably the greatest murder. He he had a. This, this is the probably the greatest murder scene I've ever be, read. This is the about
0: planning murder. the perfect murder. <laughs>
3: oh, that's so good. Yes. <laughs> Goes ahead with absolutely no plan.
1: Yeah. So Bruno, <laughs> all, Bruno has, all Bruno it has it is her name, right? So he he gets he to get medcap. her name and, he...
3: and some details about her, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and, and like her physical. He knows she's some... redheaded. Yeah, yeah he, he knows, knows she's, that she's redheaded
2: and plump, and he knows her name, and he finds three matching names in the, in the phone book, and just happens to get it on the first try.
1: <laughs> uh huh. And then he follows her in a taxi, and she's with like another woman and two other guys or something. Yeah. And he follows her to an amusement park, and then follows her around to a, a merry-go-round. And this is just like this amazing description of this like pure moment. Like he has this like euphoric moment on the merry-go-round or he's like, I wish everyone had a drink and he's like yelling things like yuck yuck and he's like,
2: school, like what's he's so funny because he's, he's he's tailing them but he's getting yeah. drunker and drunker because he has like a flask and he, I think he gets booze too and he's having such a good time he's having the time of his life like tailing he's, like traffic, traffic and so he's on the merry garden he's screaming he's like answering them as they're talking <laughs> like it's just like, this, like also, there's nothing subtle about this but guy but I don't know at at also,
1: he's not just drunk I think he's having like a manic episode oh, yeah. or something yeah. he's
2: having fun he's, he's He's drunk
1: and having a great time. He's also or you so... would say he's having fun. <laughs>
2: yeah, because he's about to commit the murder. Like, it's the thing he wants to yeah. do, right? He, like, yeah, he's like fantasizing whole, about train, something
3: that he's committing.
2: <laughs> in the whole train, the narration talks about, like, the, like, like sort of, like, idolatry of the wealthy and, like, how, like, they have nothing to do and they're bored. And yeah. how that boredom always manifests, like, in not creation, but, like, in destruction. And it's, like, that's, like that's like Bruno. Like, he's just like, he's not interested in working. He's not interested in doing anything. But he's like about to like destroy someone. And he's like, this is the fucking best. Like, this is such a rush. Like, I guy is going to be so happy when I murder this person. He's like, I can't wait. You know?
0: Like, he loves it. Like, Bruno is terrifying. <laughs> he's also like so conspicuous in the cab. He's like sitting there like across the street from them. He's like being super suspicious with the cab driver. Like, just <laughs>
3: Oh, I love when he's yelling at the cab driver to go faster, and there's a detail about how his voice goes into falsetto. Like this guy (laughs) would be the most memorable. Oh, I can totally picture it though. Right? Encountered, yeah.
1: (laughs) Anyway, he ends up he ends up strangling Miriam in a bush. Like they they row to some kind of like island in the middle of this amusement park, and he strangles her in a bush, and then like rows away, and then immediately goes to a bar and demands a scotch. Also not subtle, and then takes a taxi and demands a prostitute. So he's like, he's left a trail, okay? (laughs) But it works. He gets away with it. Oh, for now, yeah. The
2: Metcalf PD, uh, not very astute, I guess. I mean, you know. Um, Yeah, he gets away with it.
1: Yeah, And then when Guy finds out about it, he's like, I guess I can take that Florida job. Like, I feel like his life bounces back, kind of.
3: Well, 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 one of the interesting things is that he finds out, so Guy, before the murder happens, Guy finds out that Miriam has had a miscarriage. And so now he's like, cool, I can go to Florida and do the job because she can't hold this other person's baby over me anymore. So the murder doesn't even need to happen. But Bruno doesn't know that because he hasn't actually gotten confirmation from Guy that he wants the murder to happen and has no idea any of this is going on. So he finds out Bruno, and he's already well, decided well, to take yeah. the job.
2: Guy never wanted her to get murdered. He like was pressed into it by Bruno in like a casual conversation. I mean, Miriam was definitely inconvenient to him, but like Guy is like... He was not a murderer at first, you know? Like,
1: yeah, and let's remember that the original plan was that he would murder Miriam and then he would never hear from him. But, like, I think, like, what, a few days later, Bruno sends him, like, a, a postcard <laughs> from Metcalf. Yeah,
3: telegram. He's, like, doing skywriting from an airplane. Like, remember me, Charles Anthony Bruno is, like, in the sky. Remember when we planned those murders, those horrific <laughs> yeah.
0: murders together? Yeah. So I, I yeah I I love that It's like just thinking of you <laughs>
2: like
1: it's just like so guy kn- knows quite early on that it, that it's
3: Bruno. Well, he's in denial for a little bit. I think there's an interesting part where he's like he's sort of trying to talk himself out of this was clearly Bruno. Like and, and <laughs> like he gets the like when his mom tells him like oh Miriam's been murdered. Uh, I think what Guy says to Anne, who he's hanging out with at the time, he's like, he's like, oh, well, it's just a report. Like, maybe she wasn't murdered, which is like really crazy. It's like, why would someone make that up? <laughs> like, yeah, we found a strangled body. Like, maybe she tripped. I don't know. Maybe she fell off the back of a slow moving train. Like, that's not, you know, anyways, it's very, he has a moment where he's trying to be like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. I really hope that weirdo I've been on the train didn't actually go through with this. And maybe I could just forget that's what happened.
1: Yeah, but then doesn't he, like, quickly get a telegram from Bruno that says, like, Metcalf is yeah. nice xoxo like
3: yeah i but, think it's like it's, i think he it's,
0: sends him like the, the, the cab like a uh, uh, oh the yeah cabbie's business card or something like that but uh. it's a
2: total legitimate thing for guy to be like there's no way that that crazy guy man on the train killed him right
0: i mean that's like that's like a legitimate thing to think like like guy guy didn't know that he's in a novel you know like <laughs> that's true just in the back of your mind like oh that was, that was a weird thing yeah your mind goes thing? Thing? yeah 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 it's 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 interesting this part where guys where yeah bruno starts trying to like befriend him and stuff and getting him to like come and hang out and starts kind of (laughs) threatening there's like this interesting shift in guys um um psychology i just i find that the psychology in this in this book is so like the kind of psychological act aspect of this book is really strong yes Um, i agree and this whole Mm -hmm. thing where it's like every time it's it's kind of like in Guy's head, like when he's with Anne, like that's goodness. And like when he's with Bruno, it's like darkness, you know, and he's kind of like he but he kind of he comes to believe that there are these two sides of him that are like in him and fighting at all times that the good wolf and the bad wolf one might say it's like similar to the expendable man, right? Where it's like he doesn't want to his troubles to like tarnish his good woman, you know? But yeah, I he doesn't want really to affect his normal but really life. So he's trying to build like a normal life, right? Yeah. He's trying to like but become like Bruno... an upper class person, you know? But, but then, he like, almost the more seems time
1: more... He... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was
0: going to say the more he's in Bruno's orbit, he kind of starts to think like Bruno and it's kind of like the prose actually starts to shift. So yes. he becomes like, like the, the darkness kind of starts to come out, which I just found was really cool and masterful.
1: But when he's one-on-one with Bruno, he almost seems, like, more at ease with Bruno than he does with Anne. Maybe cause, like, we, because, like... We because they see- share
0: the secret. He can't doesn't have
2: to hide anything from Bruno. Y- exactly. Yeah. That's why he's comfortable with Bruno because even though he hates Bruno and Bruno's, like, destroying his life, he's still bound to Bruno because Bruno and him share the secret of... First, first the secret of Miriam's murder, which he feels, like, complicit for even talking about it with Bruno on the train. And then, like... Bruno makes him complicit, for, and then Bruno, you know, blackmails him and just like, just warps him by harassing him constantly. Right, like, <laughs> showing up and fighting with them outside of, yeah. so, of Anne's so, parents' house. <laughs> it, so it, yeah. it 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 is it is. I, Kevin, I do agree. Like the psychology of the book is really interesting. Like I found myself getting like more and more
0: anxious, like as I'm reading. Oh my like, god! <laughs> I'm and, shocked like, that I was shocked when you said this is her first novel because like it's it's so master the, the prose and like everything about it, the characterization, the pacing, everything is so masterfully done
1: uh-huh yeah it's like the anxiety in the books we've read before but like times a thousand i was like okay that was like nothing
0: <laughs> i talked about it with my therapist
2: i'm like i'm reading this book oh, yeah. it's making me re- like I'm reading my because like, I'm, I'm in therapy for anxiety and shit and i'm like i'm reading this book oh. it's making me really anxious it's just like what's the name of that it's like, you're gonna love it
1: <laughs> but anyway so bruno's like contact him more and more and then eventually because guy is like always ignoring him he ends up writing a letter Well, he writes a letter to Anne saying that I think Guy killed his wife and then he (laughs) sends one to his boss as well or is it his boss or like the contractors for this something like that we have to to wrap up
0: our summary because we got like 15 minutes till we hit our hour mark well okay so
1: basically
2: basically Guy gets driven insane by Bruno and agrees to kill Bruno's dad yeah
1: ends up killing his dad and doing this plan but like and Bruno sends him like a really elaborate plan in about 21 letters but you know it's not going to go according to plan. Right from the second guy takes the wrong gun, <laughs> so Bruno gave him this like big gun, but he ends up take, really insisting to take his little pearly gun that matches, I guess, his little like purple gloves that he has. Which he,
3: which he keeps in like a purple like crown royal bag, like one of those old like soft felt bags. And he's like, oh, I really love how beautiful my gun is. I should take this one instead of the one I have no connection with.
2: Of course, yeah, so the he, Texan
3: guy like already has his own gun. And he's like yeah, like yeah I bought
0: this one as a teenager.
1: But it's a tiny little I'm just picturing this tiny little dainty thing with pearls on it. Oh, yeah. cuz like they're always mentioning how pearly it is. <laughs> well, he didn't
0: buy it cuz he likes guns. He bought it cuz it was pretty.
1: Anyway, he kills yeah. daddy and like kind of fucks up the plan or like the plan was already
2: fucked and up himself, to the beginning because because like, he falls off a wall, it, I think. Yeah, he he also punches off a wall out he, he punches like, out the 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 butler. Like the butler is yeah. chasing after him and he turns and he like he, he like just knocks him right out and it's like that probably wasn't part of the plan either.
1: Yeah, he leaves a footprint. He leaves some of what he's wearing. Anyway, after that, like everything kind of quickly like goes to shit because one of Bruno's daddy's friends is a detective, Gerard, uh, Gerard Arthur, who really quickly says this is an inside Good. job. Looking at Bruno.
2: <laughs> okay, let's let's stop. Let's talk, let's talk about the crime a little bit. We should make, we should make time for that. So the crime, Br- Bruno. Bruno's, like, really detailed master plan is masterful. It works. I mean, it mostly works, right? But the the thing that Bruno forgets about it is that there's no... Because Bruno's whole perfect murder is that it's motiveless. It's someone who would have no mm-hmm. motive to murder this person would do it. And that's why the the, the detectives would never find it. Like, that's his whole thing. However... When, like, he's planned it out and, like, like to the like the T about, like, every creaky floorboard, like, how to get out the window. He even, like, leaves, like, a stepladder at one point for, like, guy to, like, get over. And it's, like, it's, it's very obviously an inside job. Like, there's just, like, there's no way some, like, roving psychopath. It's not like the one with Miriam. Like, the murder of Miriam is actually Bruno's perfect crime theory is true. Because he's a motiveless psychopath that just turns up and just murders her. And has like no, uh, you know, no, no one connection knows to them. the city at yeah. all. Nobody knows him. And it works. But with this one, it's so obviously an inside job that like it's quite easy for Gerard to like sort of narrow it down to Bruno and Bruno's orbit.
1: And also after that, Bruno just starts fully showing up to, guy, like, forget the letters and the calls. <laughs> sure. Now he's just, like, showing up to things. He's showing up to dinner parties. He's introducing himself to friends. Everyone's like, who's this guy? And they just, okay. like, can't get their story straight of how they know each other. They're like, uh, art school. But, and, then, like, and, and-, and then Bruno shows up at their wedding because Guy marries Anne, even though he knows he shouldn't. <laughs>
2: before where like Guy was cracking and then like when he finally like gives into the murder, which is like a really cool scene where he just like totally like submits to Bruno's will, you know what I mean? But then like after the murder, he was hoping he would like be free of Bruno, but it's like even worse. And, and Guy is just like more consumed by guilt, you know, cause he, he, he feels guilty for the murder of Miriam, even though he had nothing to do with it, but he actually also did murder like Bruno's dad, <laughs> you know? And then, like, he's just, like, 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 uh, like Kevin was talking about, like, he's just consumed by this guilt. And it's just, like, tearing him apart. And he's just so terrified. And ironically, it makes him much better at his job. <laughs>
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like. Yeah. Like. Things are still kind of working out for him, but except like the detective has kind of figured it out because it's really obvious. But the detective's like, I can break this guy easily, so I'm just gonna go away and let him unravel.
3: I'm just gonna leave.
0: Okay, but (laughs) (laughs) here's
1: here's the (laughs) thing about this detective.
0: He's a private detective, right? But he's, he's got all very with,
1: energetic, chunky fingers.
0: I'm, I just keep being like, why? Do, he keeps calling people and like, you need to come down to my office and and, can, and answer some questions. And they're just like, okay. like, And then, and then like, <laughs> oh, Kevin, all that he the has on them thing. is like, them is like their own confessions. And like,
3: why are they? Why is anybody co- like yes. cooperating? Why with are this they guy? just saying no? No, <laughs> no fuck off. I'm busy that is- day. Is- I thought it was humorous though. Like I thought with, with like Bruno it's because he thinks he's smarter than Gerard and doesn't realize like how hopelessly out of his depth he is when he's like dealing with Gerard. And then Guy is well, yeah. more like Guy is trying to do this weird thing where like I, I think part of it is uh Anne is like dimly aware like not dimly but i think Anne is like aware that there's this like private eye poking around their life and guy's like maybe if i just talk to the guy i can get him to leave me alone because like we have the perfect murder plan right nothing will go wrong so i think there is kind of like on the one hand you have bruno who's, who's just like a maniac and doesn't know what he's doing but and then guy is trying to like keep up appearances right he's still trying to pretend like he has you know
0: still if i was guy i'd be like all right you know i've got nothing to hide i'll come talk to you and then i would do that once and i'd be like no more questions sir not coming yeah. back to your office eight times. <laughs> <to be laughs> Listen, it was different times,
1: okay. If someone ha- just said he was a detective, you told him all your secrets. Yeah, well, I also
0: I think love we learned
2: how they a think double they... indemnity that <laughs> when like a detective person talks to you, usually you get like a free <laughs> osteopath
0: visit. From yeah, right. that's yeah. right, baby. <laughs> like, I also can... like how they they both kind of think Jared's a debtor at first, a dullard. <laughs> I mean. They just think. I think everyone hates Jared. He's like kind of slow. Gerard. Gerard. Bruno thinks he's a moron. I'm French. Um, I think Guy kind of. Gerard is like more French name than Jared.
1: (laughs) 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 But doesn't even the DA hate hates him? Like Anne hates him.
2: Yeah, you know? Ger- Gerard, I mean, the only
0: person who likes Gerard is Bruno's dad, and everyone hates Bruno's dad. And the butler. <laughs>
3: yeah. the butler the guy doesn't Gerard. even feel bad
0: about killing Bruno's dad. I think he feels bad about, like, carrying a secret, but, like, he doesn't care yeah. that Bruno's dad is dead. <laughs> no, he just feels bad about the guilt
2: and, like, that it could ruin his life. Yeah. Maybe Guy's not a good person either. Uh, guy Guy talks about how he's the inner flaw, you know? He like, kind of, like, craves failure on some level. But... Um, but yeah, the the repugnant Gerard is uh <laughs> despite every single person on the planet despising him, is suddenly totally amazing at his job. You know, he's I, a good I detective.
0: Pic- I picture like he- Mike Ehrman trout. You know? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's yeah, just sure, like he's just sure. like slow, kinda ugly looking, but he's like really a but lot But he doesn't look tough either. Like yeah. Mike Ehrman Trout looks tough. Like yeah, this true. guy, this guy doesn't look tough at all. He's kind of
2: like he's kind of he's very soft looking, you know? He's, yeah, he's more like I keys, know, I guess. There was he's something in the book.
1: There was something about his fat fingers at one point, but, like, I took so many notes of this book that I can't even find where this was. I just basically was writing down every page. But anyway, so he says, I'm going on vacation because I've already figured this out, and they're just going to, like, ruin themselves anyway, which kind of does happen, because, like, the second the the detective disappears, things kind of look up for a guy. Like, he gets this job to build a bridge in Canada, the best country in the world, Um, and then... But then, when, but then obviously Bruno shows up with a convertible the same color as the merry-go-round, and they, all go, <laughs> and they all go on this beautiful cruise with Guy and Anne's friends, and like Bruno just, I don't know what finally pushes them over the edge, but he jumps he's overboard. Wa-
0: he's wasted, and he falls he's off the boat. He's wasted, he falls. Yeah. And is that and then what it guys, is? And then suddenly Guy's like, no, Bruno, and like dives in after him. Like, no. And then suddenly he yeah, feels yeah, his that, deep Bruno's connection just to wasted, him, and, and then, like, and My then brother he falls off. off. Yeah. He calls him my brother. And he brother. falls
2: off, and then, and then yeah, what,
3: what, Kevin oh, what was Kevin? Oh, I it? saw, like,
1: more, I thought, like, maybe he was just, like, it was, like, one refusal to, like, from Guy too many, and he just, like, couldn't take well, it, and he Well, at this point overboard. in the book,
3: at this, this point is... in the book, Guy is trying to deny that he knows Bruno again, because it's, like, he, he sort of is, like, at first he's, like, oh, yeah, he's my friend, and then later he's, like, actually, I don't like that guy, and then... Bruno's like insinuating himself back into the friendship circle, right? Because I, I think he's yeah. taking it personally now that Guy doesn't want to associate with him anymore. Uh, and then he gets drunk and topples overboard <laughs> and drowns. I, I
0: want to back up for a second though. So, Jared, he didn't just be like, oh, I'm going to go away. Gerard. Jared, <laughs> Gerard. Gerard. <laughs> <laughs> Gerard. Yeah. He's French too. Jared from Subway. <laughs> like, well, I live in Quebec. What do you want? Um, Gerard. He doesn't just go away. He like, he figures out every detail of the, of of both murder plots and he passes it on to the police and the police just like, "Mm, I don't know. (laughs) 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 And then like, and then he's like, whatever, I'm done. And he leaves. But I think, I think that's kind of a key part of the noir thing, right? It's kind of like, like the system doesn't work. And like this, this
3: weird private detective, you know, he figures it out. It doesn't matter because no one, because people just don't like him. Well, it's also because of the appearances thing, right? Where, like, the DA, I think when he's talking to Gerard, he says, like, yeah okay uh bruno we get i can understand bruno being involved in this scheme but guy mm. like he's he's a nice he's a he's a good dude like why would we go after guy he's married to this like rich family you know like there's no reason guy would ever get mixed up in this and I mean, then gerard's like, like a... i met the guy he's guilty like just wait just wait gerard I mean, is parser. like he's like
2: listen listen they met on a train they met <laughs> on a train they start talking about murder he left a book he left a book and the is like oh my god <laughs> get this guy the fuck out of my office <laughs> like, like like you got like, you got your, like you got your p.i like license at like you know like night classes or something
0: um but that's interesting yeah, because the whole thing from the beginning is bruno's his whole thing is like anybody could get away with murder like that's what's like crime is so boring but it's like it's not really anybody it's these two guys who are both like ultra rich and in high society right guy is by the end of the book because he's like a guggenheim type like matt like yeah famous architect
1: yeah um, like an architect mastermind yeah and, have...
0: and bruno's a heir to like some hollywood he fortune. could have been
1: great he could have been great, but what did he do instead? After Bruno dies, he decides, you know what? I really need to go confess my murder to that guy who knocked up Miriam. This <laughs> is my,
2: fa- my, my second, oh, that was second so, favorite That was scene. so interesting. This <laughs> so my tragic. second favorite scene in the book.
1: So he finds this guy, Owen, and buys him a like convinces him to come back. This this guy doesn't care who Guy is at all. Barely kind of knows what he's talking about and just follows him because he promises the bottle of scotch, right? Yeah.
2: Well, he recognizes Guy from uh, the trial for Miriam's murder. Because mm-hmm. he like it accuses... Tri- it was like a... He, he accuses yeah. Guy in that trial of killing Miriam. And then yeah. like, of course, it's impossible. He couldn't. And then, so Guy thought like this guy would be pissed at him and he wants somebody to like be pissed at him or forgive him or whatever. And the guy is just like,
0: totally does not care <laughs> but
1: he, he didn't just think he'd be pissed at him he thought he he was like so heartbroken because miriam died yeah 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 well he's trying to yeah. find
0: someone who cares right he's trying to be like like who actually cares yeah. that i did this and he's, he's it's, it's like he's Gerard trying to find ex- well he's trying to find like an expression of his guilt in a sense right like he wants to be like yes. punished or something and, and he's just like okay this guy he, this guy loved needs, miriam like he he needs to yeah. he needs to punish me you know, it's not, I think we to need to set to the me.
3: scene for this, though, because I think Owen's no. behavior one, one more, in this scene is incredible.
0: <laughs>
2: one more thing. No, it's interesting because it's because Bruno is gone that he needs someone else to know. Yeah, it's but because Bruno has gone. Like he needs this guy. He needs this guy. Someone to know and like someone to like like you say like either like forgive him or be angry at him or something. But he needs someone to know.
0: Like that's why he couldn't let Bruno die, right? But he already he already left his confessions for Anne. It's more than that. I think it's just like he wants someone who actually cares. Mm -hmm. okay you mean like
2: related to the murder somehow it's funny that he doesn't go to like Bruno's mom or something you know he doesn't like the actual person he killed
1: (laughs) anyway so he tells this guy absolutely everything and then except
3: except this guy's fucking hammered because they've been drinking all night and I think like Owen's state at this point is like if anyone's been really really drunk at a bar near the end of the night and you're like struggling to stay awake but then someone launches into like a really intense like political debate or like a philosophical debate and you're like too drunk to follow it but they're like insisting on like talking about it like that's what i felt like owen was like where he's just like mumbling stuff and and uh guy is like no listen to me i killed her i killed her and owen's like it's a terrible shame it's a terrible shame that it happened. I don't know why we're still in this apartment. I think I think I think I think that's true. He
2: is like cornered at a party vibes, like you know, like and someone's telling you about like their like their pet project thing. But also to, to get like more literary about it and like tying this thing that Kevin talked about I think it's like it's like sort of the limits of like this bourgeois morality, like that guy and yeah. that guy has, and that Bruno is like rebelling against. Guy feels bad for guilt, guilty reasons, and also like you know pu- possible, possible reasons, and then he's like, I like you know I've been privy to this crime and like I I'm I'm part of it, you know. And the other guy's like, Yeah, you know people commit crimes all the fucking time. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> he,
1: yeah like, and he's like, he's less and less interested that the, the more the less scotch there is left in wait, the bottle. He, he's <laughs>
2: amoral as well. He's like, I know plenty of people kill people. And he's like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. And then he's even like, you know, <laughs> women can get away with it more because they're better at talking than men. And he's like, in oh, like. He's like an estranged, he's having like a domestic dispute with his current girlfriend. Um, <laughs> but it's just really interesting because like guy is going, he's like, you know, I, I'm part of this, this murder, you know, I have this like guilt, like I, I want you to know because you loved her. And then the guy's just like, whatever, man. And like, I've met so many people like this in my life. Like, you <laughs> know, Just like, just do not care about like any of this kind of stuff. And like, do not have like any like conscience or like feelings of guilt or morality. And like, part of me is like, man, that must be nice. You know, <laughs> like this this guy does not care about anything. He's just like, I am getting free drinks for this. This is amazing. This yeah. is a good day. He does not care about tomorrow. You know,
0: yeah. But guy's like mad that he's not mad at him. Yeah, he's uh-huh. just like, what? Your part? He's like, you are part of society, and then he's like, well, then it's society's business. And then he's like, <laughs> and, and then he's like, well, who yeah. is And then and then guy has this whole like breakdown where he's like, what is this society's just built of all of us like horrible people like me and this guy and Bruno? And he's like, and no one cares about anybody. And that's kind of, like, where his, where his mind ends up. It's it's a class thing, though, because for, there's like, we're part of society. Owen's like, well, I'm not really part of your society.
2: Like, he's not. <laughs> he's, he's a lower-class <laughs> Texas guy. It's just not the case. You know what I mean? Like,
0: Owen's kind of right about that. So this brings us to the ending, which I was very confused by. Can somebody explain what happens at the end of this book?
1: Yeah, so he's like, okay, this guy doesn't care, so I'll just, like, maybe I can fly back tonight because I need to get out of here. Yeah, but that one's like,
0: passed out by this point.
1: Yeah, so he's like, I'll just call yeah. and check the airport to see if there's any flights. And then he realizes that the phone's already off the hook and yeah. someone had and placed it there. And Gerard's been listening. Yeah, Gerard's been listening. It, and he had obviously set it up before and he's he's in the, n- the next room listening on the phone the whole time.
0: Oh, so, I missed so w- that.
1: So when he realizes that, that's when he says, take me, which is the last words of the book. So we assume... Gerard was-
2: followed, Gerard had people follow guy and so he followed him to texas and
1: mm-hmm. then he
2: followed him to the hotel room and then when guy left to go get owen then he put the he went they went they broke into the room put the phone off the hook so they heard
0: all of guy's confession to owen through yeah. the phone yeah and then it's this whole thing about how you know gerard was on his side so far as any man could be because gerard knew bruno Guy i yes. knew it now as it had been known the whole time Yet it had never occurred to him before he knew too that he had to face gerard I still don't quite get what he's talking about and then he comes out and he says take me which i guess makes sense because the because the other thing is like, with bruno being dead he needs someone to know
2: like what he went through because like I was not talking about uh, you know something about Bruno, right?
0: But like, um, uh, Bruno is terrifying. The song, and by the Br- way, John. It- we haven't said any. The song is called "We Don't Talk About Bruno," which has been completely irrelevant oh, to anything we've said. <laughs>
3: <And> you keep <laughs> saying <laughs> it, and
0: I keep thinking it'll connect, and it never does. I, I, I should I should double check before I try to
3: make that joke. I just got Next it. I just got it. Next episode on the Rides are Encanto, <laughs> the Disney hit. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's what it's so, called, right? I just got that
1: you guys are talking It's one of
3: those
2: things that I had on the background with my kids sometimes. Have you
1: been desperately trying to make an Encanto he reference
0: has, this whole
2: time? Yeah, he's yeah. tried like four times. I and mean, right. he actually, not only has he been yeah, desperately trying,
0: he, he thought he has succeeded like four times. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. super, well, just super, it's just like when I see like, ling- 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 <laughs> lingual hernia or something. Can I also say it's funny that the guy's actually <laughs> the guys named Charles. Everyone else is called by their first name throughout the book except Bruno. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. like a 50s thing for sure. No, but they call you know? they call Guy, Guy. They call Ann Ann. They call Gerard. Gerard. They don't call... Whatever um, his fucking but, name but, is. But Charles. Gerald. She, C-A-B. He goes by Bruno. What what the fuck
2: was the term? I was going to say, uh, the reason why he wants Gerard to catch him <laughs> is because Bruno is like absolutely terrifying and like Bruno completely warps Guy, you know? Like yeah. Bruno turns through blackmail and like harassment turns guy into a murderer. Like guy would not have murdered Bruno's dad left his own devices. So I think, I think he wants some sort of like feeling of like absolvement or like catharsis by like having Gerard who like also clearly despises guy <laughs> around like maybe understand a little bit of that dynamic, you know, like he wants some like understanding, even if it means like, you know, the end of his life essentially. I mean, the end of his free life, I guess. Mm. Right. Like Cause it's like some, when, some when comfort there, wants right, to like hide anything. Right, yeah, but this, I don't know if
1: I believe the complete innocence of Guy. Like, I think there no. was something there to be warped. And, like, how easily he was kind of, like, sweet. Like, just right from the beginning as well. Like, he was kind of, like. But also, we don't oh, know. he this guy that-
3: out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, he's oh, v- he's okay, very like- self-destructive. Like, I think, I think what Bruno taps into is that. Uh, guy has this very self-destructive tendency, like the whole thing where he's like, oh, Miriam won't give me a divorce since she's pregnant. I'll just give up this job that's going to make my career. And Anne's like, and everyone else is like, do you really need to do that? Except for Bruno, who's like, we'll kill the bitch. Don't worry about that. You don't have to do anything. But like everybody else doesn't really get like why it's such a big deal. Uh, that he has to give up this Paul Myra thing, and there's this part of him where like he wants to keep up appearances, and he's like not really sure how to be truthful about himself in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that's where Bruno kind of gets him, where he's like, "Look, I've gotten out. You don't have to like, you know, deal with this problem anymore." And 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 once that happens, though, he realizes it doesn't actually fulfill his desire, which is for this, this self destruction. Right? Like, he ultimately wants to be caught. He ultimately wants to do these kinds of terrible things and like I feel know. horrible a lot of the time. He didn't want to do the
0: murder, though. Like, he really got cornered into it. And I think there is something to the fact that, like, the whole thing... The, well, he doesn't run away from him, though. He doesn't... Like, that's the thing. It's like... He if can't. He, like, like, Bruno Munko won't leave of, him alone, um, and he's, like, threatening to, like, I, I th- to, like think, talk... I think,
3: to the I think thing guy
0: can have
2: a darkness into him and a self-destructive yeah. streak, but also it's true that... Guy would not have killed Bruno's dad if Bruno wasn't there. Yeah. Guy would not have murdered anybody. Is that there was something dark in Guy that like Bruno took advantage of. Yeah, sure, I could but, buy that. But I have a but question like, for you guys.
3: Co- I have a question for you guys. I have a question for you. Someone proposes to murder someone close in your life for personal gain. How many times do they have to I'm bring listening. it up to you before before you say, "Hey, don't do it"? Like, because he never like it's proposed to well, him Bruno like a few times him, and he never meal, tells
2: though. them not to do it. In the train, Bruno buys him a meal. Are you supposed to say no to, like, a fucking steak, some applesauce, and some french fries and stuff, man? No, but he
3: writes him later. He writes him after the fact, and he's like, hey, just say the word, and I'm your man. And then he's like, ah, I'm just going to ignore that. <laughs> like he doesn't he doesn't try very hard to like you know like yeah he but it's so, not that he doesn't take bruno seriously but there's like something weird there where like you know yeah. if someone was like I- i'm being serious right now i will kill your wife you know like let's let's do this let's make this happen you kill my dad and they just keep bringing it up but like some point you would be like actually like i don't think this joke is funny anymore you know like people. he like really keep
2: bringing it up did he contact the guy he sends him a he few letters, Say i was I gonna think. murder him and, and well, i, I think he kind
0: of is like remember that crazy yeah. idea we had about murdering each other's you know. Uh, also, it's pretty. It's pretty members. amazing that yeah. like
2: Bruno being wasted remembered Miriam's like name perfectly, and, like the city and stuff. Like I would have been like, would I tell the guy anyways? Like, what does it matter? <laughs> oh, he <laughs> remembers <laughs> like, everything. Guy says, guys, guy
0: oh, is yeah. perfect.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah,
1: he loves guy. So you so so know, you're
2: blaming guy. You're saying you're saying this is guy's fault. No, I, I
1: just think I'm there's something. am saying that there's ambiguity.
0: Well, yeah. Jacob yeah. is blaming guy. So let's put <laughs> Jacob, Jacob always blames guys. Let's, so I think there's something interesting about the name Guy because I do think going back to Bruno's original thing where he's just like anybody can murder and Patricia Highsmith choos- chooses to call the protagonist Guy like he's just some guy and he kind of mm-hmm. gets pushed into it. I think it's there- Guy. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's like yeah. from Texas. I'm Guy. I'm Guy from Texas. <laughs> guy Haynes. Yeah. Guy N. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because right from the beginning, I'm not convinced this is, like, even when things are going right, before the murders decided or whatever, like, he doesn't sound like he fits in, like, he already sounds like he has, like, self-doubt and this isn't the life. Yeah, like, he, there's a yeah, difference between not self-doubt.
2: fitting in and murdering people like like yeah he doesn't he's like he's a little awkward at parties doesn't necessarily mean he's going to go like murder his ex-wife and some some guys I don't dad. know I don't know <laughs>
1: yeah i mean i
2: mean yeah i agree i agree with you guys there's a darkness that if he talks about how he like sometimes gets he would fail tests on purpose just to see what failure would feel like you know like he talks about that but there's this that's a stretch from being like yeah i got to go see what it feels like to snuff someone's life out <laughs> With my pearly gun and my purple gloves. But like, he's obsession with that me. gun
1: also.
3: Yeah.
1: I don't know. He might have. It's maybe very... Bruno was just like the devil on, that needed to give him a little shove, you know? You
3: see that pretty gun in your desk you've never
2: used? Yeah, he
1: was like, so he loved his pretty little gun. Maybe we're pearls. all
2: one bad train ride away from committing the ultimate crime. Is that what you're saying, you guys? And, Is that and, what you're saying?
3: And, and, and one handsome tiny pistol. You also need the hands. Always
2: fly. I always fly Porter instead. Then
0: (laughs) (laughs) there's no strangers on Porter,
2: John. Mm -hmm. There's no dining car, so I'm not going to listen to anyone unless they buy me food.
1: (laughs) Well, what if they have a bottle Uh, of scotch?
2: I don't drink scotch.
1: Well, the
3: descriptions of food in this book are also disgusting. Like Bruno putting out <laughs> his cigarettes into like a half-eaten steak, and uh, like these caviar, like weird like these yeah, caviar like the sandwiches, oh, <laughs> yeah, the caviar sandwich, the, the prairie <laughs> oyster. Like plus there's a, a lot of man. gross
2: food.
0: Yeah, plus Royal the fact that he's liver. hung he's he's hung over all the time, and then like, and he gets grosser. He gets fat. It. He, it's like
2: oh, yeah, fat. he
1: gets fat. That's true. Yeah.
2: He gets he gets more disgusting as the the, the
0: novel goes on, and then seizes up. Okay,
2: I, mean, strongly implied I like cannot he's... stress how much drinking is in this novel.
0: Yes. <laughs> I mean, it strongly implied like he's gonna die from like Morgan failure soon. Um, yeah. But instead his drinking kills him in another way, which is falling off a boat.
2: What do you guys think about the sequel, Strangers on a Boat? <laughs> Snakes on a
0: Plane? Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm subscribed. <laughs> but how would there be st- oh, I guess like on a ferry or something? What are we talking about? <laughs> A you, boat.
0: You, you could
2: adapt this kind of book for any sort of medium of travel you could have strangers on a horse drawn carriage you can have strangers on a boat you can have strangers on a steamboat you can have strangers on a plane you can have strangers in
0: the bathroom you can do anything you could do a christmas one strangers on a sleigh oh. yeah strangers on a
3: sleigh <laughs> this will be coming out around christmas too yeah. santa claus is
2: complaining about <laughs> mrs claus and he's like she won't give me a divorce <laughs> There's some guy, some some rich, like, it's a bit Donald Trump Jr. or something, you know, some fail son, like, rich guy. He'd be like, Yeah, I'll fucking murder her for you. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta
0: murder my dad. <laughs> All right, let's give our uh, final judgments of this book.
1: I really love this book. It's the kind of book that I'm like, I want to read everything that she's written now, but maybe that's a mistake <laughs> from what I hear about her. But, like, I was really surprised by how much I loved this book. I thought it was, like, really well written. The character of Bruno is, like, delectably evil.
3: (laughs) Um, Bruno kind of reminds me of, like, a Joker from The Dark Knight. Like, this kind of, like, flamboyantly dressed person who thinks that anyone can be pushed to murder and is kind of, like, off-putting but, like, funny at the same time. Like, I, I don't know what the actual inspiration is for the joker and either the nolan film or frank miller's version of the joker or whatever but it's kind of interesting this kind of like deranged character that is deranging to other people and makes them bad is kind of a fascinating uh, personality that uh, i don't know that i'd seen in quite this way
1: yeah like she's one of these also she's one of these writers that like i've seen her her like, I've just heard about her for so long, and I just assumed, I guess I just assumed these, like, really famous pulpy writers are shit. So I was like, <laughs> oh, wait, this is really great. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys have read any of her other books, but, like.
2: I've read uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, and I've heard some things about uh, Edith's diary. It made it kind of interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I, I like—I liked the Talented Mr. Ripley, but it was kind of a, I, I thought it was good. Like, I enjoyed it, but it was kind of, like, it wasn't really something I, it was kind of a little forgettable for me in some ways. But I, I, mm-hmm. I remember reading it be like,
1: man, it's fun. Mm. Anyway, maybe there's other things to read, but anyway, I'm really looking forward to watching the adaptation now, mm-hmm. because, well, it's Hitchcock, so you know you're in good hands. I've never seen it, but I'm curious as to how he took these characters. Have you guys seen it yet? or No, no
2: but That's in the Smith interview, I talked about she talked about how she really liked that adaptation, and she said mm-hmm. specifically because Hitchcock changed something from the book, and that made more sense in the movie. She thought. Hmm. so i think that's kind of interesting
0: i see. actually I, I might have I, I did watch a lot of hitchcock movies at one point like 15 years ago i don't know if we ever saw that one i did for some reason i had it in my mind that like all, the entire action of this book was going to take place on the train me too <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was gonna be like agatha christie you know like yeah, murder on the Orient express maybe that's what i was thinking of maybe that's what i was thinking of i got my wires crossed there
2: yeah, and I was like, I was like, well, it starts off on the train. I was like, all right, get ready. It's going to be you know two hundred pages on this train. It's going to be like, a long ride, baby. They got, ride, just, baby. They got off. They going to of... get back on the train. What's get, going on? <laughs> getting
0: drunk, looking at each other's feet. <laughs> all right, Kevin, what would you think of this book? It was great, very well written. Like I was saying, I like, I liked the kind of how the psychology of Guy and Bruno matched the pros and kind of shifted with the action. But what's interesting too is. Bruno's a very simplistic character, but, but the fact that that guy is not, I think actually shows some some sophistication in the writing. Um and I like that. Like there's a there's kind of very different psychological profiles, to these two guys. It was fun. It's it was kind of like I've talked before about how, like, I don't really care what's going to happen in a mystery novel, and it's kind of true, and that's why I don't like kind of straightforward mystery stuff when that's the main thing in it. But I I, I legitimately also, like, didn't know what was going to happen here. Like, I think I wrote that in my notes at some point, where he's going back, and, like, he's got this thing going on with Miriam, who's pregnant, she's trying to ruin stuff, and he's like, like, Bruno's long gone by then. And, like, I, I don't know. I was, I was kind of very much taken along for the ride to see where this was going. And it was always interesting, but made sense. Loved it. Starting to come around, Jacob. I'm starting to. Th- I'm starting to think like the thing I don't like is Raymond Chandler.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's that that that's right, uh, Guy Sexton. I mean, Charles Anthony Bruno Hammett. on Sorry, this season that, of Dark. Oh, Dachel Hammett. Oh, uh, don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't 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 like. don't do if this look. Let's not let's not say anything bad about the master himself. Uh, Dachel Hammett can do no wrong um but i remember john (laughs)
0: i remember john you guys took like a like an american uh crime fiction class or something yeah Yeah, but jacob's
2: basically reliving that class in this this yeah
0: well you but you guys were you i think john you were like but he's so joshua hammett's so great He's like he talking about bricks and he has all these different ways of saying red. And I was like, who cares? What are you talking that about? <laughs> sound like something I would say. <laughs> you did. You were really excited. I think you just had a class where the teacher had talked about this, about how like the subtlety. And the oh, so, so, okay. So not only was it not <laughs> and was my like, idea. sounds so boring.
2: <laughs> in, this story, in this story, I'm parroting this thing that I definitely didn't say. Um, yeah, Dash Time was great though. Um, and uh, yeah, you know what? Describe a break a few different ways. You got me. It, it tickles me. <laughs>
0: um, good. And like I said, I, I love the body horror. I love like the weird, I don't know. The, the, the uh, What we didn't even talk about it the whole time too. is just these interesting depictions of masculinity. Um, obviously yeah. we kind of got into Bruno as, as likely gay, but I like, I don't even know if he like knows he's gay. You know, it's just like, it's kind of hinted that he's gay. Um, I think his, his obsession with guy is, but, okay. I don't, but I don't yes. know if he thinks of it as a sexual obsession, but right? Isn't I don't
1: there think a he scene, does. isn't there a scene where they're at a restaurant and they're like, we could be lovers?
0: Maybe, but... He
2: but, wants, like, everything that Guy has and he's, like, clearly jealous of Anne.
1: Yeah, he spends yeah. 24 hours in her house just with Anne and he thinks of killing her as well, which yeah. could have happened easily.
0: Yeah, but whatever. But but there's also... Yeah, I think Guy, Guy is also a more interesting portrait of masculinity. Like, when they first meet and he's talking about, like, oh, I've never... All, all these feelings I have, I don't talk about these things with other people. This is weird, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and there is very much a thing about like your having your image and, and your place in society, and it's kind of tied in with his masculinity. Um, yeah. And not, yeah, not guy, wanting guy to, like, not to like, like want to feel vulnerable, pollute in his... any scenario. He also and then does...
2: Bruno makes him ultra vulnerable, and he just completely collapses.
0: Yeah, and he doesn't want to like pollute, and in a sense, um, which I think is again kind of this protector masculine protector and thing kind of thing yeah know? but he also projects the kind of life onto Anne,
2: you know yeah like
1: yeah, yeah. and at the end Anne is more protecting him because she realizes something is off right
3: mm-hmm.
1: like Anne is kind of reminded me of um
3: ellen hamilton and an expendable man <laughs> i think she's yes because th- it's like yeah.
1: it's like i'm like why are you sticking by him why are you marrying him it's like she knows something is off he knows yeah. that she knows and like she's just like I was like, surely probably because she has this image soon. She wants this like up and coming architect to fit into it or something. But like,
3: well, I think early in the book, this, like, she even says she likes the contrast. Like she's talking about the contrast mm-hmm. between like, you know, light and dark and all that stuff. And then she talks about a guy and he's like, he almost gets mad. He's like, what are you talking about? I don't have any contrasts. And she's like, OK, OK, my brooding mm-hmm. husband to be <laughs> like mm-hmm. lots of foreshadowing in this book. All right, Jacob, did you like this book? Uh, yeah I liked it a lot no it was, it was really good um I Highsmith falls into this weird category where uh she considered herself genre writing but she gets really well liked by sort of literary people and it's a bit like it's a bit weird you know but I, I see why because like I've read more recent literary treatments of noir and I don't think they're very good because they're not very faithful to sort of like the propulsive part of noir where it's like this exciting pot boiling kind of suspense thing and what I really appreciate about uh, Highsmith is that she's able to kind of bring all this like psychological stuff and really great writing into something that's still trying to be like entertainment right like I think it's still trying to like like you said this whole Thing, Kevin, where you're not sure what's going to happen, and there's these like really scary scenes, and it's like you, lots of plot, lots of good stuff. So, I, I really like this book.
2: Yeah, I like this book too. And what I like about it is uh, how I, I found Bruno like joke. really terrifying. Like, I found Bruno really scary as a character. And like, maybe some people would say it was kind of unbelievable, but it's not unbelievable to me. Like, no. Bruno and Owen are like two, like, they're, they're kind of the same person, except one of them has like money and the other one doesn't. And like power, you know, and can do sort of anything they want. But I found just Bruno's like mm. obsession with Guy almost arbitrarily at first, but then like you know he's really like sort of like monomania when it comes to Guy and, and the fixation on murder and these like these rushes and stuff. Like, like Bruno is terrifying, you know. He completely like ruins Guy's life. Um, it strikes me the more noir that we read, it's the, like one of the. I I don't want to do like genre pleasing because I find it kind of boring. But like one of the really central tenets of all these books we've read is like. Guilt and anxiety, and like, mm-hmm. the, like the complicity in that, except maybe not Expendable Man, but there is sort of an anxiety in the Expendable Man. It's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, fear of being guilty for something you didn't do, but that like you were sort of related to. But like, like yeah, that, that's like the real, um, I mean, a crime and guilt and anxiety are, like the real tenets of Noir. Like, those are like the real sort of things that all these books have had in common, right? Um, yeah, it's just interesting, but uh. Yeah, uh I'm really getting tired of reading anxious books though. It's uh it's, it's, <laughs> wow. it's, it's, it's buckle it's up wearing baby wearing on me. I have some bad I have some very bad news for you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fucking stressing me out, man. mean.
1: Um did you guys also like the few the references to Montreal and Quebec? Woo!
3: Yep, yes. <laughs> when they're doing the French Canadian accents.
1: <laughs> I noticed that I feel like a I don't know if like uh, you guys feel this but like I'm like I feel like shouting it out when I see Montreal in a
3: book, <laughs> which is
1: kind of weirdly, disturbingly patriotic, and I don't know why I feel that way.
3: <laughs> I love how disappointed Bruno is with Quebec. They go there for like his <laughs> grandfather's funeral, and he thought he was oh, going to see like, all these castles. I thought it'd be all castles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "Oh, I just went to a funeral. I saw zero castles. This is a terrible country." <laughs>
0: That was the Retorizer. Bye! <laughs> a show about books. Sometimes a show about movies, but today it was about books. Thank you, Roxanne. And Jacob. And John with an H. And, and Kevin. Kevin. Uh we're going to watch the adaptation of this movie next week. It's called Strangers on a Train by Alfred Hitchcock. If you like our show, Did you say please. Albert Hitchcock. Uh, Albert. Jared. Jared Hitchcock.
1: Jared. Hitchcock. <laughs> Hitchcock.
0: It's funny because
2: Roxanne, like last episode, you were rightly getting annoyed at us for fucking up names. And it's just like none of us could get the names right. It's just we're just taking turns.
0: <laughs> taking that train down to Metcalf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, uh, follow us on Instagram at the TheRetorizer or on Twitter, X at A We'll see you soon, guys and girls.
1: And everything else.
0: Don't murder. Like Bruno's. Yeah. Don't and talk to I don't want to see Bruno. Don't take the train. Don't take the train. Don't murder anyone. And if any of you have ever had conversations about with us, like theoretical conversations about murdering people we know and love, like let's just put it out there right now. Don't do it. Don't, don't do joking. it. Just <laughs> joking. Yeah. Satire.
1: And if you do do it, don't send me a telegram.
2: This isn't officially an anti-murder podcast.